0: Hi there, and welcome to another episode of African Business Stories. Africa is the only region in the world where more women than men choose to be entrepreneurs. What this says to me is that the story of business in Africa is the story of the African businesswoman. So we're on a journey of discovery to find these women and tell their stories. On the show, we will hear from female innovators and entrepreneurs building and running businesses in Africa. They will share the highs and lows of their entrepreneurial journey and lessons learned along the way. Some of these women you may know and many you may not, but I assure you that all their stories are inspiring in their own right. My hope is that these stories will inspire you to reach for your dreams and leave a legacy for generations to come. It makes such a big difference to us if you can rate, review, and share our episodes. You can do this mainly on Apple Podcasts, and you can find us on all podcast platforms. If you're in Africa, Spotify is now available, so check us out there. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. On the show today, I chat with Hetty Boachi Yodam, co founder of PH Boutiques, South Africa's largest African print retail brand, and also the lead coach at Hetty the Entrepreneur, a results based coaching and mentoring business for African led businesses. We talk about the mindset shift that allowed her to leave her corporate job of over 10 years and scale what was then a side hustle, growing the business from her home to seven stores across South Africa and leveraging e-commerce, how a timely pivot at the start of COVID kept her business afloat and what led her to set up the coaching and mentoring business. I had a mini coaching session as well. Let's get into it. Hi Hetty, welcome to African Business Stories. Hi there, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm very fascinated by your multicultural background. Um, I know your your mom is South African and your dad is Ghanaian. Um, so I was just wondering what it was like growing up in such a, a multicultural home. <laughs> to be honest, it's it's quite
1: colourful because my parents are both multicultural themselves and they they surround themselves with people from all walks of life. So I consider myself a global citizen from birth. I've always been, mm. you know, surrounded with people from all walks of life, and it's given me quite a broad um, perspective in life.
0: So so tell us about, about growing up in, you were born in Russia. That's right,
1: yes. So tell us about that experience. You know, it's quite interesting. My father was in Russia. He was on a Kwame Nkrumah scholarship, And my mother was in exile at the time. She was part of the ANC, uh, political movement. And so she was in exile. And, you know, they met in university. And they had me in Russia. And my memory of Russia is honestly very limited because we left mm. there when I was one years old to go to Ghana. Okay. Um, it's quite interesting, though, just hearing the stories from my parents about that time. Uh, the diaspora community of Africans just coming together, you know, in solidarity. Mm. I think it's just so beautiful. And and I believe that truly is the, the, the beginning of my multiculturalism and truly being a global citizen of the world.
0: So so you, you then moved to, to Ghana. And then how did you end up back in South Africa? So my father is from Ghana.
1: And so as a family we we moved to Ghana. We were there for about 3 years and thereafter he received a um you know an opportunity to study um in the UK. And my mom did as well. So my mother then got her master's degree in law um focusing on women and children's rights and my father went on to do both his masters and PhD. And so that's how we ended up in the UK. And then to go to South Africa, what had happened was South Africa in 1991, there was a call for all um, South African individuals who were in exile that um, that they, you know, the country was open and you could come, you could come again. So immediately, mm. my mom was able to 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 gather the funds to purchase a ticket to return home and i visited with her for some weeks before we went back to the uk so um it became abundantly clear that she really wanted to return home there was a call for individuals in exile who had acquired skills to come back and plow back into the country because you can imagine through the apartheid regime, there was a huge brain drain and a massive um, campaign to really bring skills back into the country to rebuild. And that's what Mm. led to us then coming to South Africa. And, you know, we did so as a family and we've been living here ever since.
0: That's such a beautiful story, Hetty. Such a beautiful story. And, um, just moving on now to college and um, deciding on what course to, to do. So, what college did you go to and, and what did you what did you study? All right, so I went to the University of Pretoria and I studied
1: political science with a focus on international relations. And the reason for that is I love politics. I really grew up in a politically aware household. And uh, politics had really always been my strong point. And I had a major, uh, a minor in English. And after university, I just thought, you know, I don't necessarily want to work within government per se. I would love to actually be in the private sector. And I decided to use my minor in English. And so I was able to to get a job then um, within uh, an investment bank and um, I was an editor there within the investment bank. And and it was really such a, a great turn of events because I thoroughly enjoyed my corporate career. So how long
0: were you in, in the banking sector for?
1: I was in the banking sector going on
0: 10 years. So I Amazing. entered in
1: as, you know, with within the, the, the sector in a very junior level. And by the time I left, I was heading up the editorial department uh, that I was part of. So it was something that I, I thoroughly enjoyed. I'm not one of those people who transitioned from corporate to, to entrepreneurship because I found corporate to be completely intolerable. I actually enjoyed my job mm. quite a lot. And the skills that I learned from there, I apply within my business.
0: It's just the mm. calling to be an entrepreneur was so much stronger. Right. So let's let's talk about that because while you were working, you started a side business, a side hustle as as we call it. Mm-hmm. Um I, I don't know what it's like in South Africa. In Nigeria is what most people do. You you have you have your your nine to five and then you have this side hustle. And for some people it stays like that for, you know, the duration of their working lives. So what made you decide to to start this? side hustle as it was then you know
1: it's interesting because in south africa it's not common at all to have both okay what is generally common is that you know you'll go to university you'll get your degree you seek a job you have one job one salary and right. the only reason why a person would seek a side hustle is if perhaps, you know, they're not doing well financially, etc. So people, it's often looked upon as something that a person do, does to earn an extra income. So if you're in a good job, then people don't nat- naturally expect you to start a side right. hustle. So, you know, when when my husband and I then decided to start a side hustle, our family and friends were just surprised. They were mortified. Why are you doing this? You're both in such great jobs. You're in an upward trajectory in your career. You're earning well. There's absolutely no reason for you to start a side hustle. What is the silly little thing that you are busying yourselves with? And what they didn't realize was at the time, what we were beginning to do was embarking on the process of self-education and acquiring knowledge. And, you know, when it comes to self-education, this is the type of knowledge that you do not acquire within a classroom. You don't acquire it within the brick and mortar walls of a traditional learning institution. What we were learning from books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad from Robert Kiyosaki was the fact that the average millionaire has multiple streams of income. So they don't put all their eggs in one basket. It doesn't mean that those multiple streams of income necessarily have to tamper or interrupt with your day job. But what it does mean is that you're able to build a legacy. Now, none of us are taught this at university. None of us are taught about how to actually make money. And for us, what we realized is that being in a corporate job meant that we were trading Our time for money so if you do not go to your work you do not earn money and we thought to ourselves but what if we could control that what if we could control Mm. how we earn our money how much we earn how many leave days we want to have what if we could be in charge of that and that's when it became abundantly clear to us that if we started our own business we could be able to dictate our own lives We wouldn't have to live according to a template. We could spend time together. Uh, When kids come along, we could have the option of being full-time parents. And that is something Mm. that is completely unheard of in these parts. And so our, Mm. our journey to entrepreneurship began out of a desire to really build and live an extraordinary life together where we get to spend more time together.
0: That's fantastic. So so how did you decide what business you were going to, to do?
1: You know, it's quite interesting because we spent several nights <laughs> debating and toying with ideas, going backwards and forwards. And we said, you know what, we'll do whatever comes naturally to us. At the time, my parents were diplomats in Egypt. I had actually okay. uh, spent some time there. And in the time that I was there, I had fallen in love with Egyptian cotton. And I would often Mm. buy, you know, my husband Egyptian cotton shirts. And every time he'd wear them, people would compliment him. Oh, you look so nice. Your shirts feel amazing. It's it's clear that it's not local. Where is this from? And immediately we saw a business opportunity. There's clearly demand for this. People love this. And Mm. our journey actually began by simply importing Egyptian cotton shirts. And it did quite well for some time. And one thing about Papa and I is that when you see us, we love African print clothing. And often at times we'd be dressed in African print clothing and people would ask us about it. And we said, you know, let's transition into this because it's something that comes naturally to us. It's something that we're always wearing. So we'd be a walking advertisement for our business in any case. And from there, that is how p Boutique was born as an African print retail
0: brand. So you've gone on to grow this this brand from one, you had one boutique. I think you have about seven yeah. boutiques now. Um so 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 how what was the process of deciding you're in a job that you love? Your husband is also in a job that he loves. You start this, you find a business idea, start it, and start to grow it. And so what is what what made you then decide? that I want to quit my job and make this my my main hustle and go all in with this with PNH boutiques. You know, it's interesting
1: because when we started the business, it, it kind of started as a hobby, like most businesses do. And we had no idea the type of earning potential or growth potential that the the business had. We were just going just organically through it and kind of feeling our way in the dark but the business kept growing it started online people were ordering were constantly packaging parcels for delivery with a courier company then we began to do pop-up shows so one day pop-ups and the pop-ups would get packed people would come from far and wide. Then we took the pop-ups on a roadshow. So not only would we do it in our city, we've got nine provinces in South Africa, we'd go to the other provinces and people came in their numbers. And then before you knew it, we had to visit certain towns again because they were begging us to come back. And then the pop-ups would be not one day, but two days, then three days. And then, you know, the demand was so much and they reached a point where people even wanted to come to our home because at this stage we didn't even have a store yet. And so we then had to transform our spare bedroom into a showroom. Then we had to transform our garage. Uh, into a showroom so our cars were now parking outside because our garage was now a showroom and then eventually they reached a point where we both looked at each other and we said who are we fooling here we have to open a store (laughs) it's Mm. time it's time to open a store and that is how our very very first store was opened and you know from there it's really grown from strength to strength and just using the power of social media analytics and social Mm. media we've been able to open up stores where we see a demand for our product and where we've been able to build a customer base
0: um how have you managed to to ensure quality in the in the product that you're selling
1: it's been quite a journey i must be honest because it you know it's one thing having an idea but really executing it to the standard and quality that you would want is an entirely different journey, and often at times mm. people don't see that those growing pains. So initially, mm. we used to outsource quite a bit to different tailors. So we would have the designs, and they would execute on those designs. But of course, to tailors no two tailors are the same. Mm. Their work is not the same. The workmanship is not the same, etc. And because we were now building a, a tribe and community of people who follow and believe in pnh and only want to wear pnh clothing we realized that we needed to now get a firm handle on our quality control and consistency of the product that we're putting out and that is how our factory began okay you know i say factory but when we started it started with one person <laughs> in a tiny little room with a sewing machine and we were so afraid would he come to work the first day and there he did he came to work then the second day he also showed up and so we we you know we had our very first employee and from there as the orders began to come in As the business began to grow, we got a second person, a third person, a fourth person, and now we have an entire production facility. But it really started with one person. And in that, we've got a quality controller who oversees the quality of the garments. We've got finishers who who oversee the finishing of the garments. So we've really put in structures in place to ensure quality and consistency of our product.
0: That's excellent, Hetty. Congratulations, because that that is a big challenge for a lot of people in the retail space. So congratulations on that. You. Um you talked about you talked about growing your business online and um and and I wondered if you can just speak to 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 that process of because I think I read somewhere that you have the fastest growing online retail business mm-hmm. um, in African Prince clothes. But just looking back and reflecting, what are the kinds of things that you did to build that, that online presence for your brand?
1: You know, it, when, when we started our business, we had very little capital. So we were very clear that if we wanted to do this, online would be the way to go. Because the barrier to entry is a lot less and you can reach a lot of more people without necessarily having to have a brick and mortar store so i love shopping online i've always shopped online i love to shop international brands and get the items delivered etc so as a consumer i understood that my customer is like me They also want to be able to shop online. It's exciting to receive your packaging. It's exciting to receive exactly what it is that you've ordered, et cetera. And so based on that consumer experience, and also benchmarking against international brands. What do their websites look mm-hmm. like? What are what are their delivery timelines? How do the packages arrive? How do they communicate with customers? We were then able to set a standard that would set us apart from the rest. And that has been one of the biggest things that has really put us in good stead. We also worked very, very hard to build a trustworthy and credible name for ourselves. So people associate p Boutique with quality. They also associate p Boutique with reliability because there's often that fear that what if I get scammed? What if I don't receive the product? If I'm not happy, is there some kind of recourse? You know, can I exchange if perhaps the sizing I received is not quite what I wanted? You know, all of that stuff. So we worked a lot on also awareness within our customer base to make them comfortable mm-hmm. that should they have any need to contact the company for whatever reason they
0: would by all means be assisted that's awesome so so I've been speaking to a lot of people recently who who work with their their husbands uh, or partners and I wonder what it's like <laughs> for you um, working with your husband on on a daily. It's, it's, I thoroughly enjoy it. I've
1: spoken to a number of people who said they could never possibly ever do that. And I I completely understand, you know, it's not for everyone. But for us, it Hmm. really works. And I think what makes it work is that we made a conscious decision to focus on our strengths, and to leverage okay. our strengths. So I know that I'm good with marketing. I know that I am good with um, you know, staff relations, I know that I'm good with customer care, etc. He is fantastic with the numbers, he's fantastic with logistics, he's excellent with systems, etc. And any other area where we there is a need that we are both not strong in, we simply outsource. Right. So that makes running the business so much easier because we are focused on each other's strengths, and so each day mm. we are bringing the best of our abilities to our business to ensure that
0: it continues to grow. Um. So Hetty, we we talked briefly about money and starting off and not having a lot of money and and going online as a as a way to to overcome that challenge, and I wonder if at any point you you did try to raise money for the business. And if you did what that was like, and if not, how you, you've managed to fund the business so far? Uh,
1: you know, I wish I could tell you we've received funding. I wish I could mm-hmm. tell you that it, it's an easy process. Uh, I would honestly be amiss mm. to say that a lot of entrepreneurs are looking for funding all across the continent all over the world. Yes. A lot of entrepreneurs believe that in order to start, they need funding. But the reality of the situation is that only 1% of entrepreneurs actually receive funding so mentally we have to prepare ourselves that there is a high possibility that you have to go it alone especially when you are in an industry that is not necessarily considered sexy for funding so with us being in fashion Hmm. It's not necessarily the portfolio that a lot of investors are looking into. They look into construction, IT, you know, all of that sort of traditional type of investment portfolios. So for us, we tried here and there, but we weren't successful. And we just made a conscious decision psychologically that no matter what happens, we are going to succeed anyway it may not be that as fast as if we had funding mm. but we are going to succeed nonetheless and having that resolute disposition allows you to embrace growing organically. It allows you to embrace humble beginnings. And let me tell you, there are so many powerful lessons to be learned through humble beginnings. And looking back, I am grateful that we didn't get funding because I've seen people squander funds. I've seen people make huge mistakes because when a challenge comes in their business, they throw money at it because money is available as opposed to becoming industrious and finding solutions so for us our website hmm. was built by ourselves because we didn't have the the, the funds to pay designers right. they were charging such exorbitant fees so now i know how to build a website from scratch you know so there's certain skills that because we did not have funding, we've actually been able to, to teach ourselves. And, you know, in the subsequent years, as the business grew, as it gained popularity, we have had some of the most popular investors, well-known investors, approach us for funding. But now mm. we are in a position where we have the ability to choose Are you the right investment opportunity for us? Do do the terms of this agreement suit us? And if it doesn't, we now are empowered to say no. So a lot of entrepreneurs in the beginning, when they haven't yet started, when they haven't yet gotten their hands dirty, what happens is they take on funding, which is not always in their best interest in the long term, but they're locked into long term agreements. And so for us, being self funded has actually been a blessing in
0: disguise. COVID has impacted businesses across the continent, across the world, and not every business has been able to, to make it. And some have, and PH Boutique has, thankfully. And so I, I wonder if you could share some of the things that that you you did to to keep your business afloat, and if you if you had to pivot at any point, and, and what kind of pivot did you did you make in the business? So those are two questions. Yes. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. Indeed, COVID
1: has really it's 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 been a doozy. I mean, nobody could have imagined it. Nobody could have dreamed dreamed this up. You know, and it it really caught all of us unaware. And, Mm. you know, in, in the midst of it, in the midst of hard lockdown, we had to close all of our stores. We had to close the factory and we had to be indoors. You know, we had conversations with our staff members to say, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know. Our initial lockdown is said to be 21 days, but it could go longer. You know, as I'm speaking to you now, we are reaching almost one year of lockdown. Um, Restrictions have, of course, eased since hard lockdown, but things are certainly not back to normal. And so the entire business landscape has changed. For us, our busy seasons were completely uh, taken away from us because events are not happening. And a lot of our business is very much events based, and so definitely we have been impacted. We are so grateful to continue to be in business. We're so grateful to still have our staff members. Um, we're so grateful for our clients that continue to support our business and continue to trust in PNH boutique because they are the ones that truly keep our doors open. Um, And so in terms of pivoting within the retail business, it's interesting because we saw what was happening abroad. Um, A cousin of ours actually lives in China. And so he, he was giving us blow by blow updates of what was happening. And it became abundantly clear that when COVID eventually hits South Africa, we will have to go into lockdown. And so we began Hmm. to look at the different trends worldwide, what's happening, what are the trends that our business could potentially tap into. And we noticed this trend of cloth masks, Um, particularly within uh, the Czech Republic and South Korea, they reported um, significantly reduced rates of spread of the virus as a result of wearing cloth masks. And mm. my husband and I took one look at each other th- after reading the reports, and we said, that's it. That's what we need to do. We need to stop making clothes with immediate effect and completely repurpose our factory into a mask-making establishment. And that's exactly mm. what we did. It involved staff training, bringing in necessary equipment and machinery, making sure that the environment met the necessary legislative protocols and all of that and we began making cloth masks we were the first company in south africa to do this when cloth masks became mandatory within south africa we were literally inundated with orders inundated with orders private individuals businesses corporates government left right and center ordering from one to hundreds and thousands of units And so just having the ability of researching, having foresight and seeing that in the midst of a calamity, where is the opportunity for my business? That is how Hmm. we were able to pivot. And it has, it really put our business
0: in such good stead. I am here taking notes (laughs) (laughs) and this this brings me to, to your other business. You always come out teaching you always come out um, coaching mm. um, so I guess that brings me to your other business which is mentoring yes. um, the, the first time we, we, we started following each other on social media mm-hmm. and um, I've one of the things one of the things I love to do is watch your night classes you're quite mm-hmm. the teacher <laughs> I must say how did you come to mentoring and coaching
1: you know I love I love mentorship um, and I love African businesses in particular. Somebody asked me the other day, Hetty, why are you focused on African businesses, African-led businesses? Why not just businesses in general? Surely the issues all businesses face are the same. And I said, yes, that is true. But I have a particular vested interest in African-led businesses because Africans are my people. And I have an invested interest in the growth of my people. And so whether it's an African-led business in Canada, in America, in Tanzania, in Nigeria, I have an interest in it if it is African-led. And so I i have always wanted to, to grow and impact African-led businesses. One of the biggest challenges I faced was that time was a restrictive factor. And I would set up mentorship sessions and, you know, it's a physical interaction. So we have to meet at a venue to have that session and then come back. And I'd find a good two to three hours in the day has now been lost. Mm. And, you know, running multiple retail stores and all the other things that come with it, I just felt that. It was eating too much into it. So interestingly enough, in the midst of hard lockdown, I had one of those introspective conversations that I suppose we all had with ourselves, where you're indoors, you know, the 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 world as you know, it has completely turned upside down. And, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. And I thought to myself, you know, Hetty, you now have this rare opportunity (laughs) to actually sit with yourself and have a conversation with yourself. And I truly asked myself over and above our retail business, Mm -hmm. if there was something else that I would like to do, what would that be? And immediately Mm -hmm. I knew that it would be mentorship. Immediately I knew that it would be growing businesses because even just in my day-to-day life I'm always advising business owners I'm always giving people business solutions and they take it they run with it they implement it in their business and they make money they come back they're happy they're always telling me their success stories and I I and and it gives me such a an, an amazing sense of purpose and I thought to myself that is truly what I would want to do I would want to lend my voice to African businesses and so I thought to myself well here I am I'm, I'm forced to be indoors and the entire world is available at my fingertips why not just start mm-hmm. right here right now online and so I had okay. to have a mindset shift That mentorship does not only have to take place in the physical realm, it can actually take place online. And by so doing, I'm able to actually reach more people. And that is how Hmm. Hetty the Entrepreneur as a brand
0: was born. That's fantastic. So tell us about the structure because, I mean, I attend the night class and night classes are free. Thank you for having a free, a free session. But but what's the structure of this business? So we have different product
1: offerings and they're all digital products. So as you've mentioned, mm-hmm. we've got the night classes and that happens on social media, predominantly on Instagram Live. And I just go on there and talk about a particular product topic sometimes it's something that i've observed or questions that i receive from individuals and i teach to provide solutions to for their businesses over and above that i do have other paid for services such as one-on-one mentorship i've got webinars i've got masterclasses. i've got signature courses so i've even got a signature course that's um that is launching in march called the ultimate monetization course. So that's an eight week course. So, you know, a person can oh, wow. plug into the different product offerings, depending on where they are in their business, what their needs are, etc. And it I must admit, it's been truly successful. Uh, a lot of businesses have plugged in. I had a goal of materially impacting 100 African led businesses in 2020. And I was able to do that through those various platforms. And um, in 2021, my goal is to produce 300 African-led businesses that will earn an income online through monetizing via digital products. So that's my goal for this year. And so each year I'm finding that, you know, we're growing and and getting better and better. So what's this business called, Hatsi? This business, I've just really self named it as Hetty the Entrepreneur mm-hmm. and the reason for that is because I am the individual behind it. My long-term goal however is to form an academy where it we will have different mentors, different coaches, different facilitators that assist entrepreneurs through a cross-section of their various needs so if they have something that's accounting related there'll be an expert available for that hr related there'll be an expert available for that so that it is not just reliant on my skills and capabilities but leveraging of a cross-section of other capable and talented and expert individuals that are also african-led so who are your mentors wow i've had different mentors over the years uh, and interestingly enough i've always had mentors throughout my life you, i mm. i i feel that mentorship is such a invaluable component of success that we don't often speak enough of you know having mm. individuals who are a gps to show you the path to go on because they have already walked that path is truly, truly invaluable. I've had various um, mentors, I've had Ken and Nikki Bouch. They were my very, very first mentors in business and through them I learned the principle that I apply in my business till this very day and that is treat your business like a business. So mm-hmm. if you treat your business like a hobby, you will get hobby results. Right. If you treat it like a business, you will get business results. And that for me is something that is always stuck. So whenever I'm making a decision, I ask myself, is this a good business decision? Is this a big business decision or am I making a hobby decision here? Because the results mm-hmm. will then show. So that's Ken and Nikki Bouch. I have had uh, mentors such as Jimmy Tewe, he's based in Nigeria. And one of the biggest lessons I learned from him was understanding that our money mindset needs to shift to global mindset. So often at times Mm. when we think of our money goals, when we think of our earning potential and how much money we want to make, we often think in our local currency, whether it's South African rands or Nigerian naira. But we are now living in a digitized world where you can earn in multiple currencies. Hmm. So by having a global money mindset, you automatically open yourself up to a global audience, a global economy, global clients in order to be able to earn in dollars, in pounds, in euros. So he changed my money mindset. And it's so interesting Hmm. because then within lockdown itself, I was able to earn in foreign currency. By simply having that mindset shift, your brain now begins to calculate and say, okay, if we can earn in foreign currency, let's figure out a way to go about this. And so your thinking then begins to adjust. And it's been such a phenomenal limiting belief that has been shattered as a result of my mentor, Jimmy Tewe. I've had various other mentors along the way. Ian Fur, he is the founder of the Sorbet Group. That is, mm. um, you know, South Africa's largest beauty franchise business. Mm. Uh, they've got over 200 franchises and it's it's really been fantastic to have him as a mentor. The biggest lesson I've learned from him is based on servant leadership that leadership is mm. always about serving and that if you are not serving then you're not leading and that is a business lesson that I've learned for myself and that we've inculcated even to our staff you know so I've had mm. really some of the world's best mentors to be honest
0: that's fantastic so where people can't reach people personally I know there's a, there's a lot to be said about you know, reading books and you seem to be quite a, you know, a big believer in reading. And, you know, I mean, I'm putting you on the spot now, but what are like two of the best books you've read in terms of personal development?
1: Uh, I think one of my two favorite books that I'll mention, the first one I literally read about twice a year. And that is The Magic of Thinking Big. The Magic of Thinking Big is such a fantastic book because what it does is it, it, it tunes your brain and challenges you to think big. Because sometimes, you know, by default, we think small. We think easy win. We think, what is the easiest way for me to accomplish this particular thing? But when you think big, it challenges you to see beyond your present reality. To imagine Mm -hmm. an alternative reality from what you are currently seeing and then working towards that. So that's the magic of thinking big. The second book is The Slight Edge. The Slight Edge is all about the daily practices that we need to put in our lives in order for the slight edge to take effect. So for example, if you want a particular goal, let's say you want to, I don't know, lose five kilograms, The first day you go to gym, you're not going to see a difference. You won't even see a difference maybe in the next two weeks. But all of a sudden, after two months of consistency, you begin to see a difference. So when did the difference happen? Did it happen on the day you hit two months? Or was it the cumulative effort of each day being consistent, despite not seeing any evidence of change. That is the slight edge. The daily things we need to do in order to, for the slight edge to take place and for us to tip over the edge and to see the results of our daily discipline.
0: Hmm. Hetty, wow. I feel like I've just had a coaching session <laughs> right there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, so tell us, Tell us before we close out. Tell us a little bit about this this course that you're that you're starting. Did you say it starts March fifteenth, or registration opens? So registration
1: opens on March fifteenth, and that is registration for the Ultimate Monetization Course. It's truly a transformative eight week course. This is a course that I developed as a result of my own experience monetizing through the use of digital products. So at a time when people's businesses were closing, at a time when there was much uncertainty, at a time when people's businesses were struggling, I started this coaching and mentorship business and it began to boom for me. I began to make money. I began to earn in foreign currency. I began to meet people all over the world, and this was through the use of digital products. Then I began to think to myself, hmm, I don't think enough people know about this. What if I try to introduce digital products into the businesses of some of my mentees? Let us see if the results that I have uh, received are duplicatable, or if it is unique to me so we implemented it in their business and you know it's just been incredible the results that they've received They, too, are monetizing online through the use of digital products. And I thought, my goodness, you know, and these are different industries, life coaches, um, people that are teaching parents how to be better parents, people that are teaching um, couples how to have healthy relationships. So it wasn't only unique to the entrepreneurship space. And that's when I came to realize that if a person has a skill uh, and expertise, a passion, experience, or results, they can take what makes them unique, what makes them special, and they can package it into a digital product that can be purchased online for somebody that is looking for those results, experience, and expertise. And what I love with this is that There is a limited barrier to entry. So unlike Mm -hmm. a traditional business where if you're in catering, you need to buy, you know, ingredients in order to make the food or you need to buy makeup in order to do somebody's makeup or you need to buy raw Mm -hmm. materials in order to construct, what you need to monetize online via a digital product is you. Hmm. It's you showing up for yourself. There's some digital products that don't even cost you a cent to produce. But all you need to do is to package that information. And, you know, so that's when I realized more people need exposure to this. More people need to be able to do this. And so that is how the ultimate monetization course has been born. It literally is the first and last course you really need on monetizing via digital products because it is completely uh, inclusive you're able to create your digital products you're able to learn how to market your digital products you're able to determine what your niche area is going to be how to attract your customers everything and it all takes place online so You're able to access it no matter where you are in the world. And so I'm truly, truly excited about this course. And I'm really excited about the transformative results it's going to have in the
0: students' lives. So, so when will the course actually start?
1: All right. So the registration is from the 15th to the 31st of March. That's early bird registration. Normal registration is the 1st to the 3rd of April. And the course officially starts on the 7th of April. Um, students will be able to log in, enter and access their student area. We're going to have weekly group coaching sessions. And you know me, I never come alone. I have gathered the world's, like, best, best masterclass experts to come and teach us their knowledge. So I spoke about Jimmy Tewe who helped me with my yes. mindset, um, money mindset, he's going to come and impart that knowledge to the students. I've got somebody, a lady called Vangile Makwakwa. She's based in Sri Lanka. She's going to help them from a pricing of their products perspective, because surprisingly, a lot of people underprice their products. So she's going to be helping us with that. I've got Vumilem Sweli. She is a world-renowned international speaker, and she's going to be teaching the students how to speak with confidence. You know, you'd be surprised. They're people who have knowledge and skills, but they don't have the voice to express it. So Vumile Hmm. is going to come and give us all the confidence that we need to really put our magic out there. I've got Andrew Tsuru, who's going to be teaching us about how to teach like a pro. So I've got really, you know, Individuals that are absolutely phenomenal that have changed the way that I do business and will do the same for the students as well.
0: Thank you so much for, for sharing. It's been a really great conversation. I have personally learned so much. <laughs> in closing out, I normally like to end with a reflection and some advice. Mm-hmm. In, in building this business, in building your business um, in South Africa, on the continent, what has been the most fulfilling thing for you? To be
1: honest with you when i started mentorship i really truly thought that i would be the one teaching my mentees i would be the one impacting and transforming their lives i don't think i was ever ready or prepared for the impact that they would have in my life the Mm. the sense of purpose and fulfillment that they would give me when they come back and say their businesses are growing or uh, a challenge has been solved, to, to see how ambitious and resolute they are in their own businesses has inspired me. They keep me on my toes. They give me a sense of purpose to wake up in the morning. They give me a sense of ambition to continue to pursue my goals and my dreams because I see them doing it too. So I never really um, thought or anticipated what I would benefit from this entire process of these mentees. Each and every one of them is so special and unique in their own individual way. And it has given me a sense of purpose that truly is second to none.
0: So if you could give one piece of advice to other female entrepreneurs in Africa, what would that be? My
1: my biggest advice to, to female entrepreneurs in Africa is that see yourself as a bright light, a bright, shining chandelier. We are living in a time and age where people make Predetermined judgments of who women should be, how they should be, and how they should show up in the world. In every given situation, whether you're in your business, whether you're entering into a boardroom, be that light. Do not be afraid to shine bright. Because what you are then doing is that you are lighting a path for others. And you are giving them permission to also shine their light bright. I believe that there is a space in this world for each and every one of us. And there is a mission and a purpose for each of our lives. And by tapping into that that ensures that you leave an indemnable mark in this world. And there is absolutely nobody in this world that is quite like you. And I would encourage all female entrepreneurs to truly believe in the power of their own magic.
0: That's excellent. Thank you so much, Hetty. Thank you so much. This has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. If you're not already subscribed, please do so on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review so we know how we're doing. I'm Akego Okoye, and you have been listening to African Business Stories.